All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast brought to you by our friends over at X2 Power Batteries. As always, I'm your host, Bailey Igbra, and joined with me is the captain, Mr. Andy Full. What's going on, buddy? Oh, not a whole lot. Just a real quick comment on the X2 batteries. Now that I actually have a legit battery charger, I have the Minn Kota. I think it's like the P4 zero six zero or whatever the four bank like big one my x2 yeah the my x2s are charging about 45 minutes after getting off the water every day it's it's amazing isn't it insanity i'm like why did i even plug my boat in like like, it makes a world of difference oh like i just tell everyone like there's only one battery you need like you will never run out of juice on the water and and there's days that i sit spot locked on erie in two to three foot of two to three foot waves just burning down trolling motor batteries and they're still charged within two hours. So it's, um, it's awesome. I love another them. thank you to our friends over at X2 power. Yes. And uh, I will say we were talking about it with our guests offline here. I mean, obviously everyone tuning in knows who we're getting on tonight. It's going to be a banger show. It's going to be pretty sick to uh, dive into this, but uh, a big thank you to uh, the old spotted a cow here, the exclusive, yeah, the new Glarus exclusive Wisconsin right. beer. <laughs> like, so the not so good beer that is great because of anywhere else that you live when you get it. <laughs> dude, I'll be honest, I like it. I like oh. it being a granted. I'm not biased. I'm like still that two three years out of college. Like we'll just drink whatever. You know what it tastes like me? to me? What? A Paps Blue Ribbon, straight from the heart of Milwaukee. Like. It's don't, got like don't a you pass. knock a PBR? Oh, okay, I'm not a- knocking a PBR. I love PBRs when it's like so. There's PBR season, and we're coming into it. It's like mid September through like the beginning of November. Like those cool autumn nights is the perfect time to indulge yourself in a PBR. No joke. <laughs> so, <laughs> for folks listening or watching that do not know what we're talking about, a spotted cow is an exclusive beer to only wisconsin yeah for some reason they don't sell out of wisconsin and like it's nothing special like it tastes like a a less fruity blue moon if you will uh and it's like a uh i think the fact that you could only get it in wisconsin is why it is so desirable it's kind of it's interesting but uh something else that's going to be interesting is today's topic that we're talking about with our guest, Mr. Ben Milliken, who's joining us again for, I think it's the third time we've had Ben on this show. Yeah. And thanks uh, for him to always wanting to come on and spread the wealth of knowledge. Yeah. So. We always learn a literal crap ton every time he's on here. And one thing that uh, I have been a MF or as you will, for the, the fans of Ben Milliken, I've been a fan for a, a few years now. Um, and one thing that I have learned a lot was the power and the magnitude that as an angler that a big swim bait can bring to your arsenal. And especially as New Yorkers, we have, we are very spoiled in terms of fishing. Uh, our fishing is relatively good all year round, but there is a period of time there between the summer to fall transition where things get actually pretty tough. And like, what do I mean? I mean tough, like, you can catch three fish in a, a local tournament and do pretty well, uh, which for New York is very, very rare. If you don't have a limit, you're probably not going to even weigh in. Um, and one thing that I have tried in the past coming years is a big swim bait or a big glide bait. And it's kind of wild 
the follows you get, the even if you're not catching them, the signs or the things that the fish will tell you when uh, you throw a big swim bait. Uh, and we're going to dive into that, not just glide baits, but like big, just in, in general. Uh, Ben's going to kind of break it down for us here. But uh, before we get Ben on here, uh, big thank you to everyone joining us here tonight. It's going to be a great show. Yeah, especially at 9 p.m., right? Like an oddball yeah. time for us. So thank you. Yeah, and that was all to blame on me. <laughs> I am in Wisconsin right now, so I am on Central Time. Same here, I believe, as Mr. Ben Milken. I believe he's home in Texas. Uh, and he's giving us the nod. Um, so, yeah, that's why we're at 9 p.m. Just literally at dinner. Uh, I literally have my burger sitting here in the box. So I will sacrifice my burger for the next hour for you guys. Because I'm <laughs> excited. See Bailey go on mute and shout out and a big <laughs> yeah. juicy burger and make everyone hungry over here. I'll take my camera off so you guys don't have to uh, suffer through that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but regardless, I'm just so excited to talk about this. So let's get him on here. Mr. Ben Milliken, what's going on, dude? Uh-oh. Oh, dang. We can't hear no. you. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's okay. We have a bunch of people joining in right now. Let's see. Can you hear us now? No. You can hear us. We can't hear you. Yep. Uh oh gosh. <laughs> you might have to go into settings. And he's, he's and not audio. muted. No. Yeah, check your check your audio settings real quick. It might be your mic. Let's see. We got a jig squad showing up in the How chat about that? here. Hear me? Yeah, perfect. There we go. Welcome perfect. back. You guys are technologically savvy. I just <laughs> use my phone occasionally and try not to drop in the lake. <laughs> See, that's point. the that is the issue that i find we use Streamyard for folks that wonder but we're not afraid to tell anybody uh like dude well offline we were talking perfectly but Correct. like you click record and it like changes people's settings for some reason it, it did so yeah it changed it from my microphone to my headset or opposite of that i had to change it back i don't know here i am strange Strange, but we got you now. That's all that Streamyard has a ghost. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It has its own Casper. All right. Well, dude, it, it's good to get you back on here. You are a man that's very, very busy. You're always you're either traveling, you're grinding it out. And uh, one thing I love about your your channel is one, it's it's dedicated to like legit fishing, like putting your head down, grinding out, chasing the biggest fish on the water. Uh, that's why I'm a diehard fan, and I know you've been on a trip recently. Uh, I have, yes, yep. So, as much as you want to divulge, I'm just curious, how did that trip go? If you, how much I know the videos aren't out yet, but if you want to, just, if you could tell the folks, you know, oh, what man. you were doing, uh, jamming. I'm, I'm trying to think about how I can even describe this. So, uh, I guess I'll. You can tell of, us to shut up too. That's uh, fine. No, I'll tell you a long, <laughs> a long story short. Um, I watched the southern trout eaters dvd a long time ago and that had more of an impact and was more of an inspiration for big bait fishing and really doing things different than the crowd than anywhere and then any other publication or anything i ever learned in fishing um once i got my mechanics established my fundamentals and everything of course and got into tournament fishing i just wanted an edge so that whole series was filmed in 
at the start of the video, which we, of course, had to watch every single night for good luck before we went out each day. Um, he says, look, look up Asheville, North Carolina, uh, make a circle uh, two to four hours away, find the trout and you'll find us. And so that is exactly precisely where we fished, uh, right in that uh, we were west of Asheville, North Carolina, and we fished everywhere, uh, West North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia. I don't think we dipped into Tennessee at all, but um, unbelievable fisheries. It re- I had sp- I've spent a lot of time in the, the Rocky Mountains since I'm from Nebraska and, and tripping out there and stuff. And it's right. always been like, I could freaking live out here. The problem is the fish are trout and they're not bass. So I could not live <laughs> out here. That would be the thing that's impossible. Well, skip over to the Appalachian Mountains and uh, it's, it's, it's bass. It's the same scenery with bass and trout that are swimming into these lakes from the stream. And the, the bass sit there like with their mouth open and they're <laughs> eating them all. So it's uh, amazing. Love it. That being said... So I went out there and I fished with uh, Austin from Dreamcatchers. Um, if you don't follow his YouTube channel and you like my YouTube channel, I'd strongly recommend going and checking his his stuff out. Um, so Austin is one of the best fishermen I've ever shared a boat with. Um, he is completely dialed in the swim bait bite there and all the lakes there. He's been guiding there for 15 years, running 300 plus trips a year. You guys should have him on. He's a, he's wow. a super fun person to talk to and it was great spending oh, yeah. time with him and staying with him and his wife and the dudes down there we did a little meetup that was awesome and you guys notice i haven't gotten into the fishing yet because every single day we went out fishing he said was the worst day that he's ever had in his life fishing on those lakes um so that's about how the fishing was we couldn't really pin down what the deal was um, and of course, when you're out there throwing big baits, um, you're going to get less bites a lot of times, um, sometimes, right. but we, um, we went out to brush piles and through shaky heads and two point eight Kytex and stuff like that. And the fish would, were basically laughing at us. Um, but something, <laughs> something biologically was happening where there was a bunch of, this is probably happening around the country, a lot of places, but there was bubbles coming up everywhere off the bottom of the lake and, hmm. and there was a, a smell to the air, like a swamp almost. Like a lake um, turnover? Yeah, so it, the watercolor hadn't changed. Um, <laughs> I don't know, but it, it, something biologically and environmentally hmm. was happening that completely wrecked everything. Um, he's like, every single time he goes to the, all these lakes, there's bluegill up on the bank everywhere in clouds. And the bass wolf pack around and crush them. And you can easily get 10 to 15 bites a day just doing that, let alone fishing any type of cover. We barely saw a single bluegill the entire trip on the bank. It was just baffling. But that being said, we caught, we caught a handful of good fish. We had some good opportunities. And I was blown away by the way that these mountain lakes look. Like I said, it was like the scenery of Colorado and Wyoming and Utah and, 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 those, and, and uh, Idaho except with way more giant largemouth, smallmouth, and spotted bass. We didn't connect with a whole lot of them, but I will 100% be going back there for a little revenge tour, that's for sure. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. For folks that are looking forward to that, if for some reason you're living under a rock as an angler and you want to learn and see some badass footage, uh, Ben, is his YouTube channel is in the show notes. Whether you're listening at a later date or you're watching currently live, that is below in the show notes and make sure you guys go subscribe and see some of that sick content. Uh, 
I'm looking forward to seeing what that's going to be like because I always enjoy a grind. Uh, and I like to see, I think that'd be going to be interesting to see how you guys break that down. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing those videos. Absolutely. Um, um, hopefully you like dubbed cuss words um, for two thirds of the video. I don't know if there was a whole lot of other words said, um, <laughs> uh, but uh, to, to be fair, like, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you guys are having me on here to get information about the spring to fall transition with big baits. And then I open the show by saying it's impossible. There's no fish out there, but uh uh, that was that was just a weird phase the fish are in, and I'm no super expert or professional or anything, but I think it is nice to relate to the audience and let them know that if you're struggling, especially if you're throwing big baits, it's normal. It happens. There's periods throughout the year where fishing is damn near impossible. You, probably not for you guys because you're blessed with the dumbest brown creatures of all time up there. <laughs> but I know, I know even those get ridiculous too. And we were fishing for some of those too. They're just a little bit different. They're they're built more like this and longer as opposed to taller. <laughs> they aren't goby eaters. They are bluegill and yeah. herring and trout eaters. So yeah. Built more like missiles than they are tunas. You got it. Oh, yeah. There's nothing like a high altitude smallmouth, though. They fu- they're insane when they bite something. Yeah, I, I almost prefer catching them on like inland lakes where they chase shad and stuff around because I think they fight way harder and they're and they're more apt to hit baits differently, like big glides or top water. So it's it's super cool how much different those species are, and that's one thing you know. Even though we weren't catching them, Austin was we were explaining how every single spot sets up and how all these bites set up and uh yeah it was just it was and if it wasn't if it wasn't the fish not being on the bank it was a lack of current at the lake when we expected it to be blasting in from the dam up above because there's so many locks and dams and it's it's really it's it's part of like the tennessee river system some of it is in a different higher up altitude um, some of these lakes are small, a couple hundred acres, and they have, I mean, they, they open up the gates on them and the bass all go up to the front to, to the current. And, uh, yeah, the, it's, it's, it was crazy and incredible mountain fishing, but the fishing wasn't good this time. Next time. Regardless, I think, I think it's good to showcase, you know, the, the tougher time, especially when it comes to. Uh, fishing with big swim baits as we're going to talk about is that you see a lot of clips online of guys catching giants, but it is one where I think is it, I, in my personal opinion, throwing a big swim bait, especially in a clear water fishery is some of the most fun you can have without actually catching fish. hundred percent. And, and uh, especially throwing it in conjunction with forward facing sonar, which is what I love to do. That's what I did all day today. Freaking got home back to Texas. I'm like, I literally wanted to throw up and never fish again after that freaking trip. And, uh, and I was like, I gotta, I gotta inflict some pain on some, some fish. And that's exactly what I did the entire day today. Um, and I mean, just, you, you can learn so much, with, with forward-facing sonar, and you can learn so much with a big bait that when you put them together, yeah, I mean, it's it's something else. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's ridiculous the drawing power that that bait or, like, a bigger bait has. And that's kind of what we're going to get into today because, you know, especially here in the north, our, our temperatures, our morning temperatures are dropping severely. Um 
And so we're, we're kind of in like that preliminary stage of your summer to fall transition, which I'm sure you guys have at least a month or two, I would say left, give or take, which will obviously we'll pick your brain here in a second. Um, and this time of year can be actually pretty difficult. I think I honestly, I think it's one of the most difficult, if not the difficult, most difficult time of year to catch fish because it's, it's a big switch for these fish because I think it, it puts a several different groups in different areas acting completely different. And I think it can actually, it's one of the times a year where I think you might have the most rods on deck more than even just playing out summer fishing, because there could be so many different things at play. Um, and to really start this conversation off talking about the summer to fall transition, uh, I think it'd be important to kind of call out for folks is like the signs. What are the first signs that you see uh, whether Texas or not in Texas that you see that it might be, Hey, you know, it might be turning into this transition period to the fall, you know, whereas summer fishing is pretty straightforward, hot temperatures, water right. and air straightforward. But what are the first signs you see that things are starting to transition to the fall time? Yeah. So everything's different, of course. And we have real, I'm, I'm in Southeast Texas, so, which is basically the damn jungle. Um, so our temperatures are very consistent. And so, What's happened here is our, even though it's not much of a change, when you first start to see that full week period of temperatures, high temperatures that are 10 to 15 degrees cooler, not just an anomaly or a storm front moving through, but an actual full week to 14 days, when you start seeing your temperature 10 to 15 degrees cooler for a high temperature, I think that's the biggest thing for me. It'll cool that surface temperature five to eight degrees and just like you were saying, you end up with fish that are in between two very important feeding periods, which especially up there, up, up in the north, it's it's a huge, huge transition from the summer when those fish have to pack on the weight. They have to have a fast metabolism. Uh, and then the, the fall, the late fall, which you know, I, I, I grew up and lived in Nebraska my, my whole childhood, the last um, besides the last year and a half, um, fish that know they have to pack on a little bit of weight at least. Uh, especially in shad lakes before that winter. So they know they have to eat. So you're in between those two phases. They don't know if they want to be shallow or deep or both. And then to add on top of that, you have lake turnover. You have uh, a thermocline a lot of times that gets shallower and shallower and shallower. Um, those are the biggest signs to me that, that that change is happening. And it happens quick. It's not like a thing where the fish will be like, oh, they're biting decent and then they'll be biting a little, not quite as good. It's, it's, it's like, especially for those guys that don't fish every day, if you fish once a week or you get out every two weeks or so, it can be like you're fishing a completely different lake the next oh, time yeah. you go out. Like everything just completely changed and you don't have any idea what you're doing and you might as well start over from scratch. You've never learned anything on the lake. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, like there, there's the point you made of like completely different lake. Like that is one I think that will hit home with a lot of people. And the fact that like literally if you're not paying attention to weather patterns and kind of like your daily, you know, temperatures here, like this is one where you can completely get caught off guard. Like you could go to the lake on a Friday and you'll smash them. You'll figure out where there are. You'll go up, uh, you'll go back on Sunday and it's completely different. Like, correct. it's like you don't even believe there's, there's fish in the lake. And I think I'm curious to see what things you might do to monitor Ben, but like at least for for Andy and I, it's just a constant daily 
especially this time of year and really not just this time of year, but during any transition period is not only looking at the, the daily highs in terms of temperatures, but also what the nightly temperatures drop down to for sure, because that can drastically impact um, really what this transition period means and where you should start because the, you know, those mornings when you get in the water, I think it's good to, I think a lot of people, especially with technology nowadays being as advanced as it is, a lot of people forget the fact of, especially during transition periods, how important just your temperature gauge can be. 100%. What kind of what kind of things do you utilize for this kind of time of year? Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. Um, water temperature means almost nothing to me the majority of the year. This is one time when it matters. Um, another time would be the relative temperature difference in the pre-spawn period. Whereas I'm, I'm not going to be like, I go to a lake and I'm like, Oh, it's 55 degrees. They should be eating this. And then you go to the next lake, it's 42. And then the next lake is 68. It's, it's that, that water temperature is relative to where you're at in the lake. So if you're, it's 55 on the main lake and it's 62 in the back of a Creek, then you start seeing a little bit more movement, especially as it becomes more stable. But anyways, we're not talking about that, but this time of year. Yeah, exactly. You start to see the water temperature drop. The biggest factor for me, um, and, and it has been in August and into September, and it all is dictated by the type of year um, it was in the summer and spring, is the thermocline. And I honestly can't pin it down and tell you that uh, uh, if you have a hotter summer, then the thermocline is going to be higher. If you have more rain than it is, because this was the hottest summer that I've ever experienced in my life here in Texas. And for some reason, we still don't have a high thermocline like you generally see. You would think, I guess maybe that makes sense if there's not more hot water and further down the water column. That's the way it should be, right? If it's, if it's cooling down quicker, then the cooler water should be creeping up and then the lake turns over. But the right. biggest thing for me, what I'm saying with that is um, fish can't and don't live below the thermocline. So if your thermocline is at 15 feet, 10 feet, 5 feet, that really cuts out a lot of the lake for you. And so that's, that's a huge, huge deal, especially if it creeps way, way up. And a lot of times here in Texas, which we haven't seen this year, but it's going to happen probably next week because we went from having no thermocline and then today it was at like 18, 17 feet for me, is oh. that oxygen level becomes depleted and extremely mm -hmm. low. Um, throughout the entire South. And usually that's something that's already happened by now. Not sure why it hasn't quite yet, but it could come any day. When that happens, you can catch the biggest fish in the lake one of the few times of the year with their damn backs about out of the water, which is mm -hmm. cool. And then, of course, you start thinking about things like um, the types of equalizers that, that equal that out and change that. There's two different types, and that is um, rainfall, can, can be a great equalizer because that can flush cool or warm water into a system and highly oxygenated water into a system, um, which could also be from a spring, um, which would make for um, a lot of places have springs in their lakes. That makes for a little bit more stable environment. Um, but another, another big thing is current. Current is the great equalizer. Anytime you can find current, it can take away these dramatic effects these biological effects that cause bass to have to live in a certain specific area. And so those are definitely areas that I like to go search out. Um, and, and the cleaner the water, the better, really. I, I don't think you can go wrong, especially once this turnover starts happening. If it start, water starts getting a little tannic, a little green with all that crap decomposing on the bottom. Um, if you can find some clean water influx or just the cleanest area of the lake, you can't go wrong with that either.
Yeah, I think one thing for folks, if you haven't thrown big swim baits and you live near clear water fisheries, I highly recommend you just taking 30 minutes to an hour to go down a bank uh, near clear water fishery and just see, like, it's legit. Like, in terms of a drawing power standpoint, if you just want to see fish, a, a big swim bait will bring those fish out. Uh, and that's kind of one thing we'll hit on tonight as we get into this is why these big swim baits can be imperative to not just maybe catching fish, but in terms of figuring some fish out, especially from a, a shallow standpoint. Or if you're if you're proficient with your forward facing sonar, as Ben is here with big swim baits, especially this time period, is regardless of time of year, I think that these fish are always drawn to these baits, regardless if they're going to eat it or not. They will come and say hello. Um, and one thing on the thermocline for folks that are, are listening or watching here, uh, if you don't know what we're talking about in terms of, like Ben mentioned, the depth of the thermocline being 17, 18 foot, that has a lot to do with your electronics in terms of being able to gauge that depth. And what you'll see is, you know, like Andy, we had a conversation about this recently in terms of the mm -hmm. Great Lakes or even some of our, our inland lakes is when you're graphing, even on your, your simple 2D, you'll see what looks like it almost looks like a giant cloud of bait that has a steady yeah. line. It's just clutter. Just consistent. Yeah. That is your thermocline. That is what you'll hit. And essentially what that does, it'll literally look like on your 2D, say like you have like a, you know, your white background, your general palette, you know, blue bottom or whatever have you. And it's just a, a it looks like a constant cloud. It literally looks like there's a, a thick, you know, condensed, what have you, just a layer. It looks like a different, a less cluttered bottom, if you will. Um, and what that essentially does is, to Ben's point, it almost fishes like a lake that if you, you'll have your nomadic fish that'll like hover over that thermocline, but also it'll fish like a lake that has a very, that is like a, is going through a drought where that a lake that is falling, it'll make essentially those fish pool closer together, I guess, in, in fisheries that like, especially with the thermocline being higher it'll it's less water for those fish to be in is what the point i'm trying to get at um ben would you agree on that point yeah and to, to add to that basically the thermocline is um it's it's the where the warmest it's where the warm water and the cold water meet depending on what time of year that is um right now obviously the warm water is higher up where the heat is um now that it's been summer and then the cooler water is closer to the bottom and that line creeps up and creeps up and that layer right there in the middle of the thermocline is an oxygen rich layer of water i think that is how it is if you looked it up on the dictionary i think that's how it'd be described it doesn't necessarily mean if the thermocline's at eight feet then that's the best place to go target bass but what it does mean is there's a very limited amount of oxygen below that and so you will rarely see i, I now that i have forward facing i don't ever see fish under the thermocline that are bass um so I wouldn't ever target fish below it. Hmm. Yeah, I think someone was saying like if you see fish under the thermocline, it's like either like catfish or walleye or something like that. Could something be along those lines. One thing that's uh, important though too, if you have a lot of like if if you fish brush piles a lot in your fisheries or standing timber even, um, if the thermo if it's say it's there the bottom is twenty feet deep there and the thermocline's worked its way up to twelve feet deep. The, a big thing that we, we spend a lot of time on is, is targeting the tops of those brush piles. Find the brush piles that have the highest up. And a lot of times the fish will even suspend over the top of the brush piles at that thermocline. They'll still be around them a lot of times, but they will not be down in them. So you can target them with different styles of baits. 
like a big swim bait, a big glide bait over the top. If you have forward facing, is a great way to do it. I know a lot of people don't want to drop a $500 swim bait and drag around in the brush pile, but, um, or a jerk bait or an underspin or just a little swim bait. It's, it's definitely something you need to look for. Heck yeah. And that's where, you know, we'll get into it a little bit, but the forward facing sonar can definitely be of advantage. Uh, but let's, let's, let's really dive into the depths of this. We have some swim bait questions coming in and I want to point out that these are not being ignored. We are going to get into these swim bait questions here in a little bit. Once the, the, it fits into our conversation here, we're not just going to go all over the place. Um, when you notice that this transition is happening, right? This summer to fall transition, why is a big swim bait so impactful? Not just like catching fish, but also like just in terms of just fishing and finding fish. Why is a big swim bait so impactful? I'll be honest, man. I'm not going to give a lot of um, tips that are specific to this time of year because a big swim bait is extremely important and impactful all year for me, especially being in Texas. But I think the entire open water season for the guys that have hard water um, or even the guys that just don't fish a lot in the winter because you don't like the cold because you're pansy. But that is, <laughs> Got him. But, uh, yeah. but, uh, Shots fired. <laughs> I, I mean, I seriously, like, I can't name a time when you can't learn so much from a big swim bait, especially with the forward-facing sonar. Um, I, like I said, I, am not going to sit here and tell you it's more impactful now because it's impactful all the time. It's impactful because like we just talked about, it draws fish. Um, but you can, I think something we should get into and talk about a lot is there's not a lot of understanding of the different types of big baits. I feel like in this, as they become more important mainstream in bass fishing and tournament bass fishing, people think that guys that go out and throw a mag draft are experts on swim bait fishing when in reality they're probably casting a mag draft in the same spots they threw a swim jig and they're just throwing a mag draft now but what i'm going with that is you need to (laughs) hey you dabble with shine glides all right (laughs) (laughs) hey there's nothing wrong with little glide baits they have their time and place but i think that people get too dialed into watching a video and seeing that this bait X is what I need to purchase because it's good or it's better than that one. But for some reason, we don't draw the parallels in our head that these actions and sizes of these baits match the seasonal conditions and the water temperatures and the feeding activity of the bass. We just say, well, I went out and spent a bunch of money on a Hinkle Shad I'm just going to throw that and it's expensive and Ben Millican caught a bunch of fish on it. So they should eat it. We don't, um, because when you go out to the lake, if the, we, we have, I mean, if there's no absolutes in fishing, right? So, but you guys know as well as I do, if it's super muddy water, then we're probably going to have a tendency to want to look shallower and we're probably going to have a tendency to want to throw a chartreuse bait. We're probably going to want to have a tendency to throw a bait that makes more noise and has a wider action and displaces more water. Or if you're fishing in 38 degree water, you're probably not going to be ripping a square bill around as fast as you can. You're going to be doing something slow. You're going to be soaking a jig, crawling it as slow as you can. You're going to be fishing with a super tight wiggling crankbait or something like that. And if the water is extremely clean, you're not going to be out there fishing for smallmouth in the Great Lakes, throwing a 
five eight chartreuse Kitek around, even though I'm sh- small out there, stupid. So they do Probably stupid stuff like that. <laughs> but it might be it. the exception. <laughs> yeah. let's, let's let's say large, let's let's say for largemouth, you're not going to be out in the inland yeah. largemouth lake throwing something super bright and unnatural to this fish or a red crankbait, we'll say. So what? there's so many different types of swim baits that we could talk about for hours, but I, I feel like that's the biggest thing that people are, are having misconceptions about as the big, big swim baits become more mainstream in our industry. Yeah, and I think one thing uh, I, I have here that I wanted to bring up and – uh, Mr. Higgs has a question here that goes in long, along the lines of that. Of with forward facing sonar, how do you decide if you use a soft body or hard body swim bait, depth structure, etc.? Um, and I think with that question, we'll add on. So some of the things I've heard kind of through the grapevine that I don't try to think too much in, but I think are good to bring up is that certain bigger swim baits might be better during certain seasons, which I want your opinion on. Of like I've heard glide baits are better in the fall, which I've seen from your videos or work all times of year. Um, whereas like certain you know bigger paddle tail swim baits work better in the spring. I'm kind of curious your thoughts on that, and then how if that has anything to do with forward facing sonar, and if each kind of show up better on forward facing. No man, so I mean again we could talk for a long time about that. Let's. Here's what I like to do. If I want to know if one works better, then I keep a soft body and a hard body swim bait on my deck. If I see a fish, I'll cast both at it. Whatever one works better, that's what one they like more. Yeah, because you see them on Mega Live, right? <laughs> like one will react differently. One might swim away. One will follow. Yeah, it's yeah. Like and then Captain Obvious. Hello. <laughs> of course, but but there's more to that. I mean, yeah. So if you think about it, so a glide bait is a bait that is moving a wide distance back and forth, right? And different glide baits do different things. I just made a video about this, and I don't care if you watch my videos or not, but I think I explained pretty well. I break glide baits down into three separate categories. They're they're they have three different applications. And it's not necessarily based on the forge they represent or their body makeup. It's represented on how their action is. And so you have a glide bait that is super wide gliding, right? If the cooler the water is, in theory, that bass, just like we all, like I'm, like I'm saying, we, we all know that a bass is not moving as much. It doesn't want to chase down prey as much. It's not as active as it is in the summer when it's schooling, when it's chasing, when it's constantly on the move and has to eat a lot of fish to keep that metabolism up. So if you're going to fish that glide bait in the winter, it needs, or in super cold water, say under 60 degrees, um, that needs to have an extremely slow action. So that goes into another thing. I have found that fish do not prefer a bait to be sinking extremely quick. Um, they want a stalled bait more than anything. If you can get a bait to sink as slow as possible and put it on that fish that you can see, you have a better chance of catching that fish. So I will wait my baits. If I'm casting a fish, I'll wait them to sink like a, a foot every three to five seconds. So a lot of times I'm trying to intersect fish that are 20 feet below the surface. And so I'm waiting for my bait for over a minute to get to those fish as wow. they're moving. But they're the right fish. Like that seems crazy if we're casting at two pounders and we're trying to fill a limit on a day of fishing, but that doesn't seem so crazy if you just need to connect to one or three or five of those for your tournament. Right. So if yeah. I'm casting at an eight pounder 
and he's never seen a bait that's that big in 20 feet of water before, and he's out there by himself, and big dumb swim bait comes by, then boom. That's, that's a great presentation. You're not going to catch that fish on a jerk bait or a, this uh, Kitek or a jig or anything, or a crankbait. You're only going to catch that fish on a swim bait that's supernatural because it's big and it's smart and it's not a, probably in a feeding mood if it's out there doing nothing. But where I'm going with that is the cooler the water, the, the slower you're going to work that glide bait, the more you're going to want a bait that really has a super slow, natural, meandering motion. You're not going to be twitching it hard. You're not going to be working really fast. And the same thing goes for soft baits. That's when the, the Huddleston uh, and other wedge tail swim baits, the soft baits that you can pull extremely slow and that tail is just going to slowly go back and forth are more effective than a big boots, boot tail swim bait that's going to have a lot of rolling motion and make that bait oscillate and the head kick a lot. That is a lot of juice. To that was a lot. Sorry. That was, that was a long answer for no, that was a simple question. Asked is what that was. Um, yeah. As you say in your videos, deal. Uh, deal. <laughs> I can't say it as good <laughs> as you say, but uh, <laughs> that that's a lot of juice right there, guys. That's a lot of juice to unfold. And I highly recommend, especially if you're listening to this, to probably pause right now. Go back probably five minutes and <laughs> listen to that section again and really unfold of what you just kind of explained because it will save right impactful. about the thirty-four minute mark is a good spot to start yeah, on that. So. That was really that was that was insane. Um, so like during this time period, you know, we we talked about why this time can be tough, why these baits can be so key. Not just this time of period, as you pointed out, and like throughout the year, but especially during this time, it can kind of help you key in on fish or areas because you could be so lost during this time period. Um, but what kind of, you know, in terms of a cover, right? I mean, I know in Texas you can fish shallow, deep, etc. cetera, uh, alike for the rest of the country. But have you found during this time period, not just speaking for Texas and what you've seen down there, but like even in Nebraska where you grew up fishing, are there specific targets that you'll look for or certain like whether deep or shallow where these fish might congregate to during this time period? Yeah, definitely. That was one big thing we did in late summer as we worked into September and the fall was the thermocline always came up. The water always got that pea green soup a little bit more than usual. And the shallower brush piles, especially the isolated, the brush piles that are more close to points, closer to drop offs, Shallow brush becomes so important, and that's not just limited to brush piles. It broken up timber, lay down, stuff like that becomes so much more important. So whether you're going to target those with a swim bait or something else, that's a, a cover that we always – we won a lot of money in tournaments. It was the place to go this time of year. I mean, there could still be some bluegills bedding in some areas on some shallow road beds and stuff like that. That's a big thing. I think a lot of people think that bluegills spawn in, in May or June and it's done. They actually spawn seven or eight times a year uh, on the full moons uh, in different moon cycles. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. Always don't ever just write off bluegill beds. Um, and then, of course, shallow rock piles, stuff like that. Again, rock piles that are above that thermocline. Um, but I, I won't target those fish with big baits. If it is super muddy, if the water has less than a foot and a half visibility, 
Generally, um, just as a rule of thumb, it depends on the fishery. It's relative again, muddy. It can mean and, and stained and pea green soup can mean different things on different bodies of water. But if you have a lake that has diminishing water quality by a lot, I'll target those, those, those uh, pieces of cover with different baits. And it's important to, to think about too, that these are fish that have seen every bait in the books by now um they're especially for you guys you know that that's we're so far from the the ice fishing season now they've they've seen baits on the pre-spawn spawn they've been fishing the post-spawn they've fish, been fish chasing summer schools you need to downsize your baits you need to throw baits with less action um and just throw sneaky stuff and fish slower generally if you have these these fish that are, are really tough to catch in this terrible water conditions and transition because this is the toughest time of the year for me to catch fish um, or it used to be until i moved here and everything's kind of different down here where you can pick and choose different lakes and it's that the fish just don't act the same down here as everywhere that is actually something that i've been thinking about a bunch and i think because you hear about people that throw like really wacky wacky stuff like stuff that you're like why the hell would you even tie that on and they catch fish on it and this comes to the train of thought, and it could be applicable to swim baits. And I'm curious your opinion on it. Is do you think big swim baits, to a degree, I think the drawing power is obvious, um, but to a degree that big swim baits might be effective because it's something they don't see as often as often as they do, say, everyone and their mother throwing a chatterbait. I th- yeah, but again, that's all times of the year. You. If you have clean water and you're not throwing a swim bait and getting used to throwing different types and seeing the actions that they have and how the fish react to them, you're missing out on so many fish. Okay, for example, um, I was out fishing today and I'm fishing a couple hundred acre lake, not a big lake, but it's got a ton of offshore standing timber and it's got a hydrilla around the entire thing, a bunch of good creek channel swings and stuff like that. It's probably like 500 acres, I guess, but there was another boat there with a dude and I watched him go around it for hours and he was throwing finesse stuff at the grass line. Um, he was fishing finesse stuff on the standing timber and I watched him go around and then I got close to him and I heard him on his phone with his friend trying to get him some advice because he uh, sounded like the friend had caught some fish and he's like, you catch them all in one spot. What the, what did you catch them on? He had no, he was baffled. Met, met him a little bit later on and he's like, how's it going, man? I was like, Oh, it's you know pretty good. I'm just, Fish are biting a little bit, so I can't complain. He's like, really? I haven't had a bite the entire day. And this was someone that was throwing finesse stuff, like four-foot visibility water. Um, You should be catching fish, right? But I can understand why he didn't. And I literally today probably caught 20-plus fish on eight-plus-inch baits, all of them. Like, you're just – you're missing fish and bites that you can't get on other baits. That – do you, that do sounds you think, like fun. I think <laughs> what's, what's, suck. No, it definitely doesn't <laughs> suck. I think one thing that's really cool that I've realized with forward-facing, now that I've had it for a little bit over a year, is you don't realize how much these fish can actually see, like, in terms of water, water clarity. Like, to us, it's really dirty. And obviously, it's dirty to them. But they can, whether it's their... One thing I'm really curious about, and we're going to actually have a show coming up here soon with some some bait, or not some not bait, but fish biologist, is whether that's lateral line or that's strictly visual, I think is going to be intriguing to learn. But like, 
you might see some water where you're like you can barely see that that bait for a foot or two, but with forward facing sonar, those fish like they can see that crap. Like oh, it's it's actually kind of a impressive. long way. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of the rule of thumb for me before I had forward facing that I had heard, and it kind of made sense to me was that bass can see three times further in the water than we can see. So if you can see down five feet, they can see fifteen. If you can see down a foot, they can see three foot. But now that I and maybe that's true as far as seeing. But now that I have the forward facing, um, I spent a lot of time, pretty much an entire month fishing this one lake this year that has really tannic colored water, probably a foot and a half to two and a half feet of water, depending on the day when we were there, if it was windy or whatever. But the fish were out roaming in 35 feet of water in the main basin of the lake, and they, would, they were chasing big, big balls of threadfin shad. And you could go in with a little tiny swim bait and crush them. But the only thing they would eat was like a 2.8 Kitek. Or we got this new 2.7 uh, Divine Swim Bait from Six Cents now. And it was mind-blowing to see how you could get these fish's attention when you shouldn't have been able to. There's no way that they saw the bait. It, was, it's, it is strictly lateral line. There's so much evidence from what I'm seeing that the lateral line is so much more powerful than I think we could ever believe I caught my biggest fish from that lake. It was a 12-8, and I caught it on a 2-8 Kitek. And that fish was like 25 feet below the surface. And when my bait was 10 feet below the surface, that fish was swimming away from me. It hit the brakes, whipped around, it started, and it met it as it came down. 15 feet above it, a 2-8 Kitek, and a foot and a half visibility. Yeah. He said, I'm hungry, and I feel that, so I'm going to eat exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> That's insane. And it smells like squid, Holy which crap. is nothing like it's like a Latino. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I mean, oh, oh, God, that's that's a whole different episode, Ben, that I'd love to get you on. Uh, I'd love to get a bunch of – like a whole panel. I think that's one of our panel shows that we've done in the past that we need to do is on Strictly Scent and how that impacts with fishing because that is such an intriguing show and one that we need to do its due diligence for if we set that up because that is beyond my mental capacity in this sport um but one thing i wanted to ask you is during this time of year um and i know you're one that you spent and i think what again to the point of people that throw big swim baits people don't realize is the amount of time spent at the wheel in terms of looking at your graphs and trying to strictly find fish from whether it's mapping and your electronics, et cetera, is what are, what are some things you might, you know, when you, you launch your boat, you look at your mapping, some things that is like your first go-tos that you're going to hit. And I know in the last episode we had you on, you talked about you're trying to hit the biggest like main lake points in terms of trying to find the biggest fish in the lake. But during this time of year and just trying to find fish, what might be some places you look for when you launch the boat in terms of high percentage areas? Yeah, so once again, extremely prominent areas. I think a big thing to go along with the brush pile fishing, because obviously you can go hunt out a bunch of brush piles and, and, and brush that's especially in that like 8 to 12 foot range, as long as your thermocline's not up 5 or 6 feet, which it shouldn't be most places, but... Um, Main lake, generally, if you can find channel swings that kind of dip in towards the bank um, and then right off of those, you have some of the brush piles are in that shallow water. Um, like we have all figured out with forward facing and, and electronics, those fish will get out in deep water and roam so much more than I think we thought they ever did. And so just 
the it's it's not rocket science, but the deep water access next to those areas with the isolated brush piles above the the uh, thermocline and stuff like that is absolutely key. Got it. I think that's definitely like a one of the biggest things this time of year is what a lot of folks seem to do is they hit areas that where they've caught them in the past. And I think this time more than any other time of year is history will ruin you. Mm-hmm. I think this is the time of year where you need to just let mother nature decide where the heck you're going to go. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so when we talked earlier in terms of glide baits versus, you know, paddle tails and per time of year, et cetera. Um, and I know one thing and I, I've, want to get them very badly actually have a point i have a note section on my phone here to go buy them um in terms of the six cent draw is your favorite baits to like when if you can just pick like two to three that you're going to go in terms of just finding fish that you have confidence in that'll get attention or you know as we say bring fish out to say hello what what are your like two top two three baits that you're going to have on the deck whether paddle tail or glide bait type of deal yeah, are we, it's fish or fine fish. Are we talking about um, uh, forward facing baits, or or just any? If you don't have forward facing, or or what's the deal? I let's guess do, you can do both, like forward yeah, facing first, and then non forward facing. Yeah, yeah so, two, two two for each, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. So forward facing, um, as far as that would go. So if I'm targeting a lot of those brush piles and isolated pieces of cover, I definitely want something that's going to sink. Like I said, I want it to sink as slow as possible. Um, so I will weight that draw down and I will leave it as is. I won't modify the bait at all other than adding some lead wire around the hook. And I add enough lead wire. That, like I said, it sinks about a foot every three seconds or so probably. And on forward facing, I'll watch that bait over the top. I'll throw it past the brush pile, probably 20 or so feet. And if you can't draw a fish out with that bait, then there isn't a fish there unless the water's muddy. I mean, even if the water is muddy, they'll still turn on it and move. And uh, I'm trying to think of another forward facing bait, but I like a I like a line through a lot too. But that's pretty much all. That's that's anytime. Truthfully, I will throw a, a lion through swim bait with a, a paddle tail swim bait that'll it'll kick and oscillate. We got one actually coming. We've been working on for a long time uh, with six cents. Um, that's going to come out in different sink rates, and it's a perfect size. It's going to be like that six six and a quarter inch size that you can literally you can catch a fifteen pounder on it, or you can catch a two pounder on it, and they can engulf that bait. Um, it's going to be a top hook bait to keep it up kind of so you can really bang it into some of the timber and brush piles and stuff like that. So a line through and then a weighted draw are absolutely the deal when it comes to that. Um, as far as finding fish without forward facing sonar, um, it's going to depend a lot upon what cover you're fishing. A lot of lakes don't have those brush piles. A lot of lakes are grass lakes. Um, and so I will fish the draw without any waiting at all. And when it's like that, it'll slow float, which is uh, a waiting system that a lot of people that don't fish a lot of big baits don't really understand. But basically, it'll you'll cast it out and the bait will float. But when you work the bait and pull it through those glides, it'll get down three or four feet deep. So that makes it extremely effective for targeting the tops of brush piles that you can see, working down the side of a laydown, working on a grass point. 
stuff like that. And it's, it's, it's the deal basically. Um, another bit I really like when you ne- can't necessarily see them on forward facing, um, but you want to cover some water or like what's happening right now is we have a ton of schooling fish down here still. I don't know if it's that way around a lot of places in the country. It's still, it's still September. I would assume a lot of places still have schooling fish busting bait and stuff. Um, that flow glider from six cents. I did a little bait mod on it. I don't know if you guys watched the video. All you need is a little $10 Dremel mm-hmm. tool, but you can open up it, open that action up and, and open the hinge up. And that thing, like it'll, it's called chopping. It's a chopping motion. You twitch, twitch, twitch really fast. Basically you work it like a spook or any other topwater walking bait that you've known, just been known over time. But I have caught so many fish since I started fishing that bait around schooling fish and around areas where fish are pushing bait in and wind blowing areas and just shallow cover chopping that bait. Um, so many more fish than I have in the past when I'm trying to throw topwater baits at those schooling fish or even throwing just a little, again, a little tiny, but two seven divine or something. This, that swim bait, that five inch flow glider swim baits catching fish better than, uh, than the tiny wow. stuff and the finesse stuff and the topwater stuff. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's good. Good stuff. That's pretty wild. Mm-hmm. So in tandem with that, um, if you give like from a you know, top of the line, your heaviest baits to kind of like your, I wouldn't say entry level, but like your, you know, we talked earlier, like shine glides, stuff like mm-hmm. that, like two setups, uh, because we do have a question here uh, from Con Over. I, believe, so I apologize if I, I pronounced that wrong. Uh, what kind of gear ratio do you like? in terms of a reel for big glide baits, but I think we'll extend that question to a general setup, like two setups that you have for your heaviest, your top of the line baits to kind of your, your lighter stuff. Yeah. So I throw, I have like 15 different big swim bait rods, not bragging, but they all have different (laughs) purposes, but there, there is two that do a ton of different things for me. Um, I like, I do really like a seven speed reel. Um, that, seems to be uh, just a good speed for a good cadence with a, with a glide bait. You're not generally fishing glide baits um, super deep and super slow. Like I think it's super important to have a five speed reel when you're fishing at Huddleston or something like that, or even slower if possible, if you're crawling it. Um, but with that, it's, it's almost like you can a revolution of that handle on that seven speed tranks reel um, pulls it through the glide one time each time. So it's just, it's perfect. It's a perfect timing thing for me. Um, so if I'm throwing baits that are under three ounces, I throw them on a 200 tranks, uh, Shimano tranks reel, and I will throw it on the seven, nine. It's rated as an extra heavy, um, team six rod from six cents. And that's like, that's my deal for throwing the Chad shad, the flow glider, It'd be perfect for the shine glide. It's a, it's, it's not as heavy as a typical extra heavy would be. I'd call it more like a heavy is how I would rate it. And it's super light. And so you can, that's a, if, if you're fishing small glide baits, they're not going to glide super wide. You need to impart a lot of action and especially give it that quick chopping, darting action. You're not going to be able to do that with a rod that weighs eight ounces and you're, you're, it's made for throwing giant baits. It's just your, your wrist is going to be destroyed in a half an hour. And that rod, like I literally can put it in my hand for 10 hours a day, chop, 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 chop. It's like working a topwater bait, like a topwater walking bait. You guys know how that feels on your wrist. Same with mm-hmm. the jerk bait. 
it's 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 just a rod that you can do that all day long. And then the other one I would do is my my seven nine extra heavy MF or series rod. I will use that for any baits that are three ounces up to seven ounces probably. I know a lot of people probably aren't going to just jump in the swim bait game and start throwing a 15 ounce bait, which is a good idea. Um, so that <laughs> rod, we weren't even aiming to make it for baits that size, but it turned out to be absolutely perfect when I got the blank for those, for the draw, which is a four ounce bait. I throw the Hinkle shad on it, which is a six and a half ounce bait. Um, depths 250. It works extremely well for those. And, um, both of those rods, depending on how you like to fish uh, an Alabama rig, can double for that. Um, you can punch or flip heavy cover if you need it in a pinch for that, if the water's stained or you just decide that you are going to throw swim baits that day. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I match that rod up with a 300-size trank, so a little bit bigger reel, and I generally throw glides that size um, on 20- or 25-pound fluorocarbon. There you go, guys. That's the dang juice right there. Love it. I think that's one thing that like is I think very important, obviously, to this game, uh, especially if throwing big swim baits. And it's one that uh, you know, we we joked sort of. I don't think we added any context to it, but like when you mentioned the guy that throws a, a mag draft where he throws a swim jig and I was pointing at me like that as me because I'm in the entry level of well, really nothing, nothing wrong with that, yeah. No, no, there's not, but I think there's a point to it in terms of when you're trying to go down this this path, it is really important in terms of your, your gear needs to be right. If you're going to be throwing specific baits more than you would associate with just about, I think any other bait, um, obviously there's specific, you know, rod and reel combinations, but I think this type of fishing, you know, the bigger the baits where it is much more important to be dialed into your rod and reel and line setup even going down to your swivels and your split rings and your treble hooks, which Ben, we've had multitude of conversations on. Um, this is one where you really need to be dialed, um, especially the further down you go, you go that, that this rabbit hole. Um, but one thing we wanted to bring up for fun tonight, Ben, uh, is we know you have a, a guest coming down to to fish with you, one that we've had on the show recently. I listened that, to the uh, show, too. You guys thought you were going to pull yeah. one over. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Coleslaw were blasting 11 hours through the middle of the night the other night. Like, these guys think that we don't hear everything. It's funny. Like, we don't listen to podcasts all night. <laughs> ben, this is one Perfect. thing why I am such a fan, dude, is because – while you might have a giant platform and you might be one that can spread a lot of knowledge is you're still regardless, like you're, you're like a, how would I associate it? Like when I talk to you, like Brandon, Pollock, you, you're, you're still a student of the game and you don't ever forget that part. And that's why I have such a, a mass respect for you. And that's why we're going to bring on our buddy here. Uh, Mr. Mr. Brennan Chapman. Who oh, is oh, light. Is by Butch Lights here. Boys, it we went a little less serious. How's it going, boys? Good man. How How are how's you? it going, Brandon? It's, it's going great. I just came on here to quickly intervene and take us way off subject and say hi. So, and <laughs> uh, and also put Mr. Ben on the spot. Um, he promised me we're going to be catching tens on Ned rigs and Senkos when I come down there in November. So deal 
I'm going to be learning from you then. I have no idea how to do that. (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah. (laughs) Brandon, I I love this like bush light mirage we have going. Like the silhouette of bush light. Seriously, it's like a kaleidoscope of bush light. Yeah. Yeah. Are you looking through one of those tubes and twisting it right now? Stack of it, boys. This is nice. It's our last Tuesday nighter of the season here in uh, the great state of Iowa, so it's a little bit of a party tonight. How did it go? We're still at the lake. Go Hawks. Did you guys win or what? Barely. What's that? Wasn't it like 7-3? It was awful. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. It was like, I don't think there was an we offensive touchdown dude. scored all game. Yeah, we don't have a quarterback. <laughs> Our defense and special teams is fantastic, though. Well, I, I was I was referring to the fishing. Was the was the Tuesday night? <laughs> oh, <laughs> it was all right. It was all right. <laughs> Can you not see on your screen the like bush-like ghost you have on the top part of the camera? Oh, let me get rid of that. My my apologies. No, no, I love oh, no, it. I, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I'm just asking. So you're SOL now. No, there's still one there. We're good. Yeah, beautiful. There we go. We get we have like a like a double like top down image of the bush light here. Slim shady. Yeah, pay no mind. We went right into a dangler rabbit hole. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I just came in here to to cause a little trouble. I'll let you guys get back to the good talk. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> get back to all right, Brennan. Well, buddy, it was good to, to get to have you back on here as uh, as a quick turnaround as we did here. But uh, we'll we'll talk to you quick. We'll talk to you soon. All right, Brennan. We'll see you soon. Sounds good, man. Signing off. See you, boys. Right. See you, dude. We we Never thought we'd things up. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> That's what I actually okay. catch them on and then hang a swim bait in their mouth for pictures, right? That's mm. right. Mm. <laughs> or so the, so the haters will say. Yes. Hey, uh, I am trying to keep my stuff secret. I was telling Cole the other day I need to start catching them on swim baits and hanging a Ned rig in their mouth for social <laughs> media. Yeah. Have you have you actually like cast a catch like thrown a Ned rig in Texas yet? No, <laughs> I have not. That makes me so happy. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I throw the uh, I throw that little tiny, the little divine in the Kitech, the two seven two eight size, every single day. But oh, wow. because See, sometimes that's sometimes that's all they want, and mm-hmm. so I mean that's like a lot of people think I'm like a big bait guy, but I'm I'll throw whatever they it takes to catch them. Besides the net rig, besides the net rig, obviously, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> There's a time and a place, and the place is not for largemouth for me. Okay. I love that. Well, I, okay. One last West question, unless Andy's got something for you, and we'll start wrapping this this sucker up here. Um, what's the deepest you've caught a glide uh, glide bait fish on, or like a, just a big swim bait in general? Um, probably like thirty five feet. Like towards towards bottom, or just kind I mean, of. I've like caught them in like sixty feet, and they were in thirty five feet suspended. Wow. Mm-hmm. Waiting them um, to get them down there. Yep. Yeah, I can't imagine how long we'll wait. <laughs> One yeah, no Mississippi. Two that was actually on a uh, that was on a 15 inch bait too. That was oh. with my buddy Ryland. We were out fishing and it was post spawn and we could see a giant school of fish suspended out off a point and there was like 20 to 30 fish and they were all 
six to 10 pounders and they wouldn't move on anything. Um, and they were just, I couldn't like, it's weird that a school of fish can sit stationary in one spot. I even threw like the 10 inch Henkel at them and I don't think they even flinched. And I was like, okay, they have to be bass. They're not, <laughs> they're not a school of gar not moving. And so I threw my 15 inch Moby swim bait that weighs 14 ounces and I fired it over the top of them and the whole school lit up and came up and I got like a seven and a half pounder out of it. Damn. But it took like two and a half minutes for it to even get down to where they could see it. <laughs> it was crazy. That's a lot of counting. That is a lot of counting. But once that's a lot again, of patience. Oh, forward facing house. That's, that's uh, exactly. That's a lot of time that you could have been throwing a swim jig at the bank, not catching any. When you think about the caliber of fish you could be firing at with that giant bait. Yeah, that's true. Um, one question from a fan here. Uh, before we wrap this up here, it's from Jake Gravis on Facebook asking, Great what's your question. favorite smallmouth bait? But we'll add the caveat to that is we're talking big swim baits here. Okay. What, what are you breaking out? Like when you're going after, say, smallmouth, will you bring one yeah. of these babies out? Yeah, so it's a type of bait that you guys should be applying a lot. And um, they we have caught like four or five pounds smallmouth, the, the northern type with the, the tiny mouths and the, the big humpbacks. Um, on like 10 inch hinkle sheds and stuff like that. But the best bait I think you could throw possibly would be something that's a smaller chopping style um, glide bait, like a, a KGB Chad Shad's extremely effective. That's a great bait in the Ozarks, which fish differently, of course, than the northern waters. But just a, a bait that's you can chop side, 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 and they can see from a distance, they will come a long ways and get that. And it's just. It's something that they haven't seen before, and it's something that I've been applying and drawing fish 15, 20, 25 feet away from all summer long, and the smallmouth the same way. Hell yeah. Um, and that's one, the Chad, you're talking Chad Chad, that's mm-hmm. one that Spro is now, they, that was the partnership, right? Where they Correct, yeah. AGB, right? Yep, whether or not that comes out being the same as the resin version is up up to see but there's a lot of good chopping style baits that size range um like the uh the tiny clash if you fish it without a bill and the tail up is or tail down sorry is similar in the chopping motion um you can make an s waiver if you do a couple little modifications or the flow glider from six cents you can make it chop and it's in that five to six inch side range size range too but that's a uh, an action that I think a lot of people need to learn, especially if you're fishing for, for smallmouth um, or for a lot of largemouth that are in like the two to three pound range. You know, a lot of tournaments, a lot of places in the country, a two to three pound largemouth uh, is a big deal. And that's a bait we applied when we fished that U.S. Open last year at Bull Shoals. I caught every single fish on that bait. Um, and the Ozarks fish, those two to three to four pound super mean Ozarks fish love that five to six inch size of bait that's working back and forth really quick on those Highland Reservoirs. Hell yeah. Uh, I mean, as we keep talking about this, like this type of fishing is almost kind of an art is what a lot of people will call it. I mean, it's, it's a completely different style. So it's, it's one guys when you're getting into it, uh, there's a lot of really good information in this especially to get you started, uh, whether, you know, you're beginning into this or, uh, even to folks that are, have been swim bait fishing for a while, um, is one where you just need to have a lot of patience with it. I think that's a lot of what Ben is getting at too. Um, 
But uh, Andy, do you have anything left for Ben here before we sign off for tonight? No, I'm going to say it was uh, fun being a student tonight and sitting here and listening and just taking in all the information. It's something that I am not aligned with at all. And I'm always like, I'm going to try it. And then I get stuck smallmouth fishing like nine tenths of my summer and 40 plus foot of water. So just kind of always goes to the wayside. <laughs> well, you're doing the right thing then, man. It's not like, like I was saying with applications, like it's, yeah. it's not for every situation. That's for sure. And if anyone can take anything out of this, it is that uh, you need to apply swim baits in the same manner as you're thinking with every other type of bait. Don't just hear that one bait's good and go buy 30 of them and then use it once and decide that you don't have the right gear or that it doesn't work or that it doesn't work in your body of water. You need to apply baits that have these, the, the right action and the right color based on your water clarity and the seasonal pattern that the fish are in Mm -hmm. if you can go to a a brush pile that it's there's two plus feet of visibility in your your body of water if you can go to a shallow brush pile and if you have forward facing if if you're throwing a swim bait that's not moving a fish up out of that pile then it's probably not the right area for you to be throwing it in but i can almost guarantee you if you got that fire spot that you always go to that you flip a jig into and you catch fish in or that that great that special dock for whatever reason you don't know why it's great or you do maybe you can throw a swim bait a lot of times and either catch fish that you couldn't catch with something else, or you can catch a bigger size class of fish. Just like today when I was out fishing, old buddy was out not catching anything. He looked like he was, he knew what he was doing. It's not just a one bite a day thing. I think people need to understand that it is not a one bite. It's not a only get followers thing. If you're getting followers consistently, you need to make a change, Um, change different type of bait, change different type of action, change different color. But you can generally go out and catch good fish on swim baits and catch them consistently once you get it down. You just got to put some time in. Hell yeah. Well, hopefully the listeners and viewers for this one are taking some notes from it. Uh, let us know if you guys take anything, if you guys catch some stuff off of this, these tidbits. You know, Tag Ben in it, tag us. Uh, I'm sure we both will love to see that. Uh, I know for a fact that I've been throwing a bunch lately. And we'll be throwing them a bunch here in the next couple of weeks. Hopefully uh, in the YouTube videos, they work effectively enough to make their place in it, especially because I've been bombarding Ben with questions about this. So hopefully me bothering him about all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, stop uh, traveling so, so much can... so we can fish a little. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> right. Oh, but, uh, but Ben, dude, for real, th- again, as always, thank you so much for taking the time out and dropping the mass amount of knowledge, not only on your YouTube channel, but on the show tonight. Uh, it's been a pleasure, and hopefully one of these days we'll actually get a, get a chance to either grab a beer and, and or go fishing. But uh, for real, dude, thank you for taking the time to be on the show tonight. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. I'm always an open book. Let me know when you want to have me on next. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it, boss. We're looking forward to the videos to come up from your your last trip. And uh, again, folks, if you're not already, subscribe to his channel. Follow him on social. Everything is linked below. You can find it all there. And uh, Ben, we'll talk to you real soon, buddy. All right, guys. Take it easy. All right. We'll see you. See you. Have a good one. Kicking me out. Love it. Yes. See you. (laughs) Bye, Andy. (laughs) Dude, this is one that like – so. I've been following a bunch of either like there's there's your bait making big swim bait pages and then there's your like your swim bait culture esque 
swim bait pages that I've been following for a long time. It's one that I've really been trying to invest. And I think one thing uh, to Ben's point is price can be the one drawback or a deterrent. And I've seen some comments about that. There are definitely some ways to get into the quote unquote swim bait game at a, at a cheaper price. Um, And there's definitely some ways to do it. Like I think one setup to point out um, that I've been using, I mean, I don't want to say the real is correct, but like there's a Dobbins Fury 79, 795SB. That's like a $130, $150 rod. Um, real, I'm using just like a Corrado DC 150, but I think you should go 100% to a 200 size real or a 300 if you're able. 300 is definitely, you're going to be better off. Uh, but th- there's there's glide baits and big swim baits out there. Um, you know, we, we joked earlier, but like an eight or 10 inch mag draft is a big swim bait. Like that's a big profile. Mm-hmm. That is a great entry level into it. There's it a Savage Gear Shine Glide. That is a $20 glide bait that might cast like a helicopter, but it walks like a dream and it catches big ones. I've caught big ones on it at like Chickamauga. Um, all of those guys, if you actually want to order those for 10% off down below at Omnia Fishing, Omnia Fishing has them all. Our discount code series 10 is down there, but it is one where it does take some time. And I think if you get into it and you're worried about money, but you want to do it, get into it from, yeah. YouTube cause here has a great point too. get the Gantarell is a great one as well from a, a, a bluegill standpoint. There's multiple different companies out there. I know some people are dropping some more comments. Um, there's a bunch of different rods and a bunch of different baits more than just what I mentioned. Ben would have been a great resource resource to ask for this. Oh, of there's, course, there's hundreds of swim baits out there. Ones that you may have never even heard of. And then ones that you just overlook and they catch fish. Yeah. There, there's a lot of great stuff and there's great channels like Ben's, um, to kind of really help lead your direction down this rabbit hole of fishing. Uh, but there are options to get into it from a a, ent- a more entry level and therefore help you believe in that this is legit. Like, that's why I'm really going down this rabbit hole. And I'm at the stage of, like, slowly spending a little bit more money on it because, one, the drawing power is insane. And, two, really is, like, the more you go up in price, the better the action is and the more bites and hookups you do get. But there are baits that you can get for a cheaper price that will actually mm-hmm. get some fish. Um, but it is, I will say from a tournament angler standpoint, especially on your more clearer bodies of water, you know, two to three plus foot visibility, it is an insanely good visual practice bait when you do not want to catch fish. Uh, I mean, you'll catch fish on it, trust me, but when you don't want to catch fish and see them, right, you want to make sure there's big fish in the area this bait is unreal like a glide bait a big swim bait it just has the drawing power um but dude andy tonight i mean i could i could keep going like uh i'm just infatuated with how tonight went it was a great show ben unlocked some juice always appreciative of ben taking the time to come on this platform and it's definitely not going to be the last time that he gets on here I apologize for not interjecting much because I'm just soaking it all in. I was like, man, I don't even want to say something because I might sound like a dummy. So I'm just going to listen like that. It was incredible. Well, well, dude, like that's the beauty, I think, of this platform is like we are, quote unquote, serious anglers, right? Yeah. But because you're serious about and you're obsessed with this sport does not mean that you're insanely good at it, which you are. 
you are, but there are certain uh, avenues uh, that people have weaknesses <laughs> in. Yeah. Uh, I know you don't like, you know, like compliments, but you are. Um, you could be a serious angler that's completely, that's been in it for two weeks. So you could have been a serious angler that's been in it for 20 plus years. I don't, it doesn't matter. Serious angler is a mindset. Serious angler is, is how you approach fishing. Yeah. Uh, it does not require a certain level of skill. Um, if you're obsessed about it, you're a serious angler. That's right. Forever a yeah. student. That's the that's the goddamn motto of serious angler. Forever <laughs> yeah. a student. I love that. We need to make that yeah. a t-shirt. That's like as to our forever list of, a student. Of that is for. <laughs> that is. I'm actually going to write that down because that's part of our. We have guys. For we folks have that a lot have been of stuff coming. Channel, we have so much coming, it's not even funny. Um, we are putting a lot into this platform for the rest of the year, but also really for looking at 2023. We're really hoping, and to be transparent with you guys, um, we are hoping to really bring a apparel presence to Serious Angler as a podcast network. Um, and that's one where you guys can buy some apparel from, rep the brands. We're going to have not just like, you know, serious angle logo. We're gonna have some fun hoodies, t-shirts, seasonal stuff, like a lot of stuff to look forward to. We'll be giving some stuff away, running some specials, discounts, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, look forward to that because I mean, we're excited about it. We're just uh, needing some groundwork to do it right. That way, it's a lot easier for you guys once that time comes. But Andy, I could keep rambling. I could keep talking fishing. I'm already jazzed. You know, it's 9:20 here, so it's technically like 10:30 for us at home. Oh yeah, it's um, great, and I'm getting up early because I'm got the rest of the break-in period on my motor to finish tomorrow, and I'm going to go jam on some smallmouth and uh, keep busting in my mega live. So I'm pretty pumped about that. So we've made Andy a forward-facing sonar fanatic. Uh oh, <laughs> just another tool. It's all it is one thing though. I will say it is always good to leave in the truck or turn off and go to the bank. And just fish. Not even a bank, too. Like there's times, dude, where I will purposely Ooh, serious angler hockey dream. Yes. I like that. Yes, we need it. <laughs> that would be sick. Um, like I just turn off Mega Live when I'm like sitting on an offshore waypoint. I'll turn off Mega Live and only run 2D in my mapping and just worry about boat positioning just to like keep that freshness yeah. coming. Like it's it's good, but well it's funny like to rebuttal that when we went to alice well no let's scratch that out can we edit up when we went to that little lake like a month and a half ago right and it's already too late buddy this thing this thing's live crap crap happens right like um but no i had electrical issues (laughs) in my front graph and we just turned them off and fished all day and i was like i knew where everything was already so i'm like oh we can't go here because we're gonna crash but i'm like it should be like eight foot here and it's like oh it's like 10 like it's just being able to fish your surroundings without the technology and that's something i like to do anyways because i think it makes you a more complete angler when you can turn off your graphs by having a tool that realize how to correctly present a bait to fish it's awesome like for the last two months everybody's been telling me you can't catch them on forward on erie anymore they just run away and um last week finally got it dialed in i think i caught like 40 bass myself off of mega live in two days like straight up and down underneath the boat just learning how they react to it so yeah nice hell yeah 
Uh, Brian comments in here actually has a super cool YouTube channel called the Creek Crawler. Uh, it's like backwoods creek kayak fishing. So, but yeah, I, I give him a rod and sounds like he's throwing some flow gliders. Sweet. Um, but dude, like, not to go on this tangent because we've we've done this so many times. But like forward facing sonar gets hate on, gets hated on, gets loved, gets bought, gets used. In my personal opinion, forward facing sonar is another step in the process of fine tuning how precise you are in finding and catching fish. And I think if you don't realize that, either one, you don't have it, or two, you're not using it correctly because the best anglers in the world with forward-facing sonar are still the best instinctual bass fishermen on the planet because they're combining instincts with technology. And that's why they're so good because you take forward-facing sonar away from Jacob Wheeler. He's still going to catch those fish. He's not going to catch them as effectively or as, as many, but he's still going to catch those fish because it's one thing, as you mentioned, it's another way to fine tune your process of your presentation Whereas you still have the other, you take forward-facing sonar away, you can still find those fish, know how they're setting up, know what baits to present as a as a process. But forward-facing sonar helps break down that basically your what do you want to call it? It's almost like the scientific method, right? Yeah. But with fishing, it just adds another step in the process to be more precise. And I think that's the the guys that are really really good with it that is how they approach it where the guys that you see are only good for an event or two are guys that are only good with forward facing sonar and they suck when instincts need to be imperative. Mm -hmm. That's my, that's my personal opinion. And yeah, I agree. And the other thing I've already realized off of using it is too, is like, yeah, they might not bite it on this certain angle, but if you just change your boat angle slightly and your cast slightly, how much different those fish react? Because it's yeah. all like we think because we see them on forward facing or 2D, they're going to eat our bait, right? Because we see them. We know they're there. They have to eat it. But simply because of natural current, wind-driven current, how the structure on the bottom is set up, where the the prime area of that rock pile is so being able to use all your tools like down imaging, side imaging, 2D, mapping, understanding natural current flows and wind currents and how the fish set up based off of that. You you just change that angle sometimes like a 10 degrees, right? All of a sudden you're catching fish and everybody around you is it because you were able to figure out the tiniest minute detail and angle to make that fish bite. So, and I've already started figuring that out even more. And I'm like, this is fun. (laughs) Here's what we'll end it with. If you have technology and you have forward facing and you don't know how to tell the difference between softer and harder bottom on 2D, then you probably should take a step back. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. We have a bunch of comments in like white whale here saying they love the show. Great topic today. Guys, this is only the start. Uh, we have on some amazing guests. Oh, this the, so the lineup is insane what's coming. So <laughs> uh, we have, we're taking this platform to the next level and we're super excited to share that with you guys. Uh, the guests we have coming, uh, if I can ever stop traveling <laughs> so we can set these shows up, would be magnificent. Uh, 
but we have some insane stuff coming up and that is one where if you guys like the youtube stuff please subscribe to the channel like every video please enter you know engage in the comment section that way we can further provide feedback and improve this platform for you guys but also if you're listening to this please leave a rating and review if your platform that you're listening to like apple or spotify allows it to and that helps us create a better episode for you guys because that helps us rank better which exposes us to more people and therefore trickle down effect helps us create a better platform for you guys to learn more about bass fishing because it's all about that's all that's what this this platform is about but uh andy i think without further ado we're going to call it a night here and uh we're going to have uh we're trying to get out an episode for friday we're going to try our best here to get one out um on further diving into that fall or summer to fall transition and not just like tonight was about big swim baits because it has a very very powerful presence in our industry whether people like it or not but we're going to kind of just dive into the intricacies beyond just big swim baits for the summer to fall transition and that is coming hopefully friday if not that'll be an episode for next week um I am out of town this whole week, and as you can see, I'm not in my normal studio. But uh, Andy, I think we've signed it off here. As folks, as always, we appreciate you guys. If we don't see you Friday, we will see you next week in a week from now for Tuesday Night Live, if not for Business from the Bass Boat on Monday. We'll see you guys then. Appreciate y'all. Peace. Have a good night. <laughs>